Special shout out to the fabulous house mother to the show, Madison Moore, and the one and only Wes Taylor, creative mentor. Come in, turn off the porch light, pour a cup of tea. This is Black Matter, the podcast. <laughs> I'm out. Put your phone on silent. So, um, another episode of Black Matter Podcast, um, social platform for Black femmes and all things Black dimensionalities. Um, I'm very excited to bring on my homegirl, academic sister, chosen sister. Um, we have been knowing each other for a long time. I feel like it's like been 10 years. 10 years? Because Are we that you old? transferred in like... We've known each other since 2010 or Like or nine, yeah. Oh, okay, that is a long time. Yeah. I, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> Um, but I feel like even the time um, feels like it's even longer because of how much processes we've seen each other go through as yes. far as grad school, from undergrad, et cetera, et cetera. Personal life. Personal life. I was yeah. at your wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and yours was one of the only straight weddings that I actually really enjoyed. Oh, <laughs> you know, a black wedding is a black wedding. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just tired of going to other weddings, you know, yeah. but your wedding was good. Thank so, you. Um, welcome, Miss Kira Lee to the show. Is it, is it Lee still? Um, well, Lee hyphen heart. So I go by Lee. Lee. I go by Lee Hart. Lee first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is so? Tell us um, who you are, what you've been up to, um, and just any tea that you want to add about yourself that you want the audience to know. Okay, so I'm Kira Lee Hart. Mm. Um, in the spring of this year, I got my PhD in education. Congratulations! Um, thank you. Black academic in the house. Yeah. yeah. Um, I teach at VCU. I teach uh, writing the first year students. Um, I also have an organization called School Girl Hustle. Um, it's a t-shirt line and it's also a movement to support and inspire girls and women in school and in the professional world. So I'm all about uh, supporting women on our grind, on our hustle, because we do need a lot of support because they're very nuanced experiences that we had and need to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. on our way to the top. And uh, my research involves a lot of things. Colorism was what my dissertation was about. Um, Colorism, parental incarceration, black student identity, um, things like that. Critical race theory, things of that nature. I love that you mentioned one of my favorite words in my own dissertation. And that's just like thinking about black experiences and nuance. Yes. Double congratulations to you because I can feel... Your energy of just like your glow is like I'm done, nigga. Yes. <laughs> but speak to me about just like give me maybe like two examples of the nuances that you experience being a black. Um, you're not a first generation college student, right? No. But being a black woman in um, academia, specifically at UVA, um, and what it was like in terms of like those nuances. Well, one concrete example that comes to mind when I think of UVA off the bat when I was getting my master's. Um, I lived on the range, which is like the kind of distinguished area for graduate students to live in. Mm -hmm. You had to apply, you had to be selected, a whole process. It's a um, big kind of honor at UVA. It's the equivalent of undergrads living on the lawn. Mm -hmm. And so I lived on the range and I went to an orientation uh, at the School of Education and I met someone that worked in another department. And she was asking everyone where they were from, where they lived. And um, I said, well, you know, I'm from Richmond and I live on the range. And she looked at me. She was like, you're living on the range? And I said, yes, ma'am. And she was like, how did you find out about the range? And I said, ma'am, I applied and got accepted just like everyone else that lives on the range. And she looked at me like I had three heads. 
It's basically like um, the academical grounds of UVA mm-hmm. um, that Thomas Jefferson crafted. Um, it's those little uh, kind of like almost like efficiency apartments on the range around the rotunda. So I lived right there. Come on, prime real estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, and, and it's very weird because you see pictures, you see portraits of, uh, you know, enslaved uh, black folk you know, kind of tending to these areas from back in the day, and then you're living there. And I actually lived in Woodrow Wilson's dorm. There's a plaque above the room, Mm -hmm. and it says that Woodrow Wilson lived here, and, you know, a little bit about Woodrow Wilson. Mm -hmm. He was a staunch racist. Mm -hmm. Um, My middle school is named after him. Oh, gosh. Hey, Woodrow Wilson in Middletown, (laughs) Connecticut. Is that still y'all name? (laughs) Hopefully not. So he, yeah, so he, his past of, like, racism and he was a segregationist and you know my black ass is living in that room my mom was like he's turning in his grave you mean you're getting a master's degree and you're black the nerve you get the your braids done inside that dorm yeah sometimes sure, was mad <laughs> he was like what is this what, what in the nappy-headed world is this so yeah so so that nuance is what it is yeah nuance so like just, and i was the only person asked that and you know being of color and not that many people of color live on the range mm. It's a very white-dominated space, white male-dominated space. How did that make you feel just in, like, the the everyday experience with, like, you know, the portraits, seeing the plaques? Like, are those things that you kind of just learn to avoid or, like, you know, being in academia and being black? I think every day you're seeing these, like, very subtle Mm -hmm. reminders of, like, okay, this place is, like, of course, you know, diverse and inclusive, air quotes. Mm -hmm. But it's constantly, Mm -hmm. there are aesthetic and design... um, elements of the space no matter how many bodies are saying we want you here you're included here the architecture the Mm -hmm. plaques and all that stuff is constant reminders that like you're not supposed to be here i took it as empowerment because at the same time there's that going on while i was at uva i did a little study for a class about the service workers in the dining hall Mm -hmm. and the way they were treated and I believe I did an ethnography, so I basically sat and observed. And I observed people just dropping their stuff, looking back, seeing it drop, and kept keep on going. Mm-hmm. I interviewed uh, one of the workers, and mm-hmm. she basically said, we're supposed to smile mm-hmm. and be happy no matter what. And I wonder who taught so, her, who told her that. Yeah, I, I think actually um, the company that trained them, the company that you know provided the food service. Mm-hmm. So that contrasted with, like you said, these architectural elements that reminded me of, hey, um, enslaved Africans once tended to this area, and a staunch segregationist lived in the very room that you lay your head at, mm-hmm. head at at night, and you know other microaggressions that I got just from being there. It was a wonderful experience because it was a transformative one. Mm-hmm. So I took that energy and kind of you know morphed it into motivation because I'm like, hey, look. My ancestors had to deal with this, that, and a third. There's, uh, you know, stratification at UVA right now with the workers. And if you follow the living wage campaign, I think they just got um, an increase in wage for um, service workers. But um, it's very racialized. Charlottesville, the history of that area, uh, what's going on now. I don't know how you got put together living in Charlottesville for that long. I, I, I took it as motivation and I took it as, okay, I'm going to make some kind of change happen with this, whether it's a big change, I don't know, mm. but a change starting with me. I'm going to get this education, and I'm going to do stuff and research stuff that pertains to, you know, to those experience. people that have been marginalized and stuff like that. So that's how I took it. I love, um, you're mentioning, I think, like, the, the theme of this episode is going to be, like, blackness and nuance, because mm-hmm. 
you're making me think of another kind of like nuance and individual experience I think a lot of black professors have. And mm-hmm. so like, obviously I haven't been in, in, in the game that long, but I'm just starting out uh, teaching at University of Richmond. Mm-hmm. And you've been teaching a little bit longer than me. You're at VCU for how many yeah. years? Oh, since, oh, I've been teaching since 2016 as a GTA. So I was in my PhD program. I taught a class, but I've been full time since 2018. And I think um, one of the things that happened to my, um, in my experience, excuse me, the other day, it's like just the things that you notice as a, not just a black professor, but as a first generation college student, as a professor of color, and as a black professor that kind of grew up, you know, um, in service spaces. Like, I was a Bonner Scholar. I did Mm -hmm. community service throughout my entire um, academic career. Mm -hmm. Um, The other day, I took my students to um, Six Points Innovation Center, which is a black youth um, nonprofit um, in Highland Park that I'm the black academic at. So I help with, like, um, really infusing black knowledge production into the programs and the things that are already happening at the space. But Mm -hmm. anyways, um, my students did their final presentations there, to really like share the knowledge that they've gotten in the classroom with the community, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I had to pull some strings, not too much work, but like had to fill out, you know, a small grant application to get um, money to transport them there um, and also to buy food. So there was dinner for the students and the community oh, folks great. that showed up. Um, and it's interesting because my students did so well, but just think about our backgrounds, right? Like only one of my students of 15 said thank you for the food. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they left, no one, um, offered to help clean up the space. So there were, like, mm. water bottles and things left under. And it's predominantly white students coming into a black space. Mm. Um, and so, again, I think, like, you know, some professors may just be like, okay, that was rude, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it, like, wore on me in a way that I think a lot of us experience as professors of color when you have, when you're bringing your students into a black space. Because mm. it was just, like, the fact that y'all have gotten this far mm-hmm. um, and don't know that when you go to a, a, a space that is not yours, especially a, a black space, right? Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to, you know, treat yourself as a guest mm-hmm. in that space. So just like recognizing that, I was just like, oh, like, yeah. you know, because yeah. in my, you know, my mother was there. She would slap somebody. Yeah, <laughs> so, right? so just thinking about right? that, that, that <laughs> dynamic and then thinking to myself, like, well, is it, was I supposed to put that in the syllabus? Like mm-hmm. that you need to clean up a space when you visit it? Or is it just like, should I just take the L and be like, okay, like, these students, you know, they just don't have that kind of training. Yeah, you can't control other people. Yeah, yeah. So it's so, like, challenging mm-hmm. to deal with that kind of, like, nuance because being raised in a black household, like, yeah, those are just different. things that have been ingrained in yes. me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, my mom, like, would, <laughs> even now, like, well, did you tell so-and-so thank you for <laughs> yeah. Did you say thank you? Yeah. Or did you take the time to say thank you? Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Yeah, and I think so much of that, you know, comes from black mothers. Mm-hmm. And so I obviously teach with care, and I mm-hmm. learned that care from black women that have raised me. Mm-hmm. It's really hard when you see those things, like, come out into a space. And obviously, as a black professor, we take on that labor sometimes. Like, oh, my God, I should have told them. Mm-hmm. I should have trained them. Yes. I'm like, and at the same time, I'm like, there's a little queen in my head that's like, girl, <laughs> you are not responsible to train these people to have home training. Yeah, these students can. have all the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, that was definitely something that I was just, like, very surprised at. And yeah. some of them did help with me asking them. Okay. Um, okay. But at the same time, I still was like, I shouldn't have to approach you. Like, yeah. you, y'all, I, I think also, like, when I think about my experience of working with black youth versus teaching at a PWI school, mm-hmm. is that I think there's different definitions of community, right? So, oh, like, yeah. you take six-foot youth to a space like this, um, they are more in a community with each other. So it's like, it's like you know, yo, pick up your water bottle mm-hmm. versus taking kind of students of privilege, not just white students, but just this is a very privileged space, right? Yeah. We're on University of Richmond's campus right yeah. now. 
um, students that are in this space where, as you said, there are dining workers, there are janitors, there are mm-hmm. people that clean up a classroom after each class, like all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's intentional that yeah. they, you know, were rude to the space. Yeah, it's just different backgrounds. It's different backgrounds. Different cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so trying to find that balance of like, I am not um, going to water down my identity as a scholar mm-hmm. to teach white students to clean up after themselves when they visit a space with which they are a guest in. But at the same time, having a little bit of like, okay, like they grew up with like, you know, they have been always, you know, in private schools or spaces mm-hmm. where somebody cleans up, you know, after that. But you know, everybody's, everybody's different. <laughs> but I wasn't raised As you like that. your hair back. Yeah. yeah, I was not raised like that. So, you know. Yeah, definitely a challenge. Yeah. Um, and how do you balance your different class uh, dynamics? So you're at VCU. I know mm-hmm. that you have probably more black students in your class than I do. Yeah, well, um, it's, it's a diverse mix. So I'll have black students, Latino students, um, um, and there's a lot of, lot more openness at VCU. So I have students that are very open about their sexuality and will tell me, I'm meeting with my mom, but I haven't come out to her yet. Mm-hmm. Very, very vocal mm-hmm. about that. And I, I, I feel honored that I lead a space where the students feel like, oh, I can tell her that this and that. I can, you know, disclose that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so there's a mix of a little bit. And also there's more... Uh, there's less privilege. So there's a lot of students that are working multiple jobs in my classes. There's a lot of students that I literally um, had a student come to my office hours the other day that um, needed food. So it's di- different needs, uh, different experiences, and like you said, different nuances in of the classroom, yeah. I, I would I would gather, compared to here. Mm. So How do those things inform your teaching, though? Um, I'm very much, I feel like, well, I feel like the fact that they're first-year students, and then the other stuff I just said, um, like you said, caretaker. I feel like a lot of times I fill in that caretaker role, whether they need it, didn't have it, did have it. I end up doing that because there are students. That same student um, needed help with tuition. So I'm pulling strings. I'm meeting with students in between the minutes in between. I'm reaching out because I know someone in, that works for the office of the president. Mm. And I'm asking her, like, hey, can you help this student out because she, this, this, and that. So I have that kind of stuff um, going on. And definitely um, because VCU is a little more uh, diverse, and I say that with air quotes because it's not really once you dig deep. Of course. Um, or administration-wise. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's a little more... Uh, there, I would say maybe there are more platforms for uh, different causes and maybe openness towards different causes maybe at VCU in the student realm. Like you see a lot of like students protesting different things and this and that. So because of that, it's I feel like... more raw feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is more curated. But yes. there are students here, of course, that are protesting and that are oh, you know, yeah. on the front lines. But definitely. it's definitely much more curated. Yes, yeah, I would say They're that. high or they're just like you got to seek them out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I definitely have been walking, like, in a heel on campus, and mm-hmm. some students have looked at me and been like, I see you, professor. Oh, yeah. So it's, yeah, they're they're there, but it's yeah. very different, you know, in, in how definitely. they get to these types of schools. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So because that's the climate where I'm at, there are more students that are more likely to talk about controversial issues in their papers or mm-hmm. want to do presentations about police brutality. So I get those kind of conversations in my office from students 
who are black that want to talk about these things and they're asking me they're saying hey dr lee i want to talk about police brutality but i'm i'm scared i'm i'm, I'm afraid to and i'll say well why are you afraid to and they'll say, well, you know, I don't want to offend anyone and I don't want to come off as this, that, and the third and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So those conversations do come up where I have to basically kind of school in my own kind of way these students and kind of um, tell them that you can definitely embrace and talk about and learn about and delve deeper into issues that affect you and that affect, affect black folk. Mm. But you have to be careful when you do it. And when I say careful, I mean... You need to know your stuff. Mm -hmm. You need to know your stuff. Um, and you need to make sure you know it. Because when you're in that environment and you're in that space where you're a black person talking about black issues, it seems to, to me that we're open to more criticism mm -hmm. when we do that. Particularly uh, students and, and younger people. Really? So, yes. So, And I mean, in my experience, for sure, with the work I've done with colorism, for sure. Um, and that that's criticism from white folks, black folks, all colors, just from being young. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell them, like, being young and being black, you need to make sure you know your stuff. Because any kind of loophole you have, honey, they're going to come forward and say, well, you said such and such, but actually I just looked it up and blah, blah, blah. And when I say they, I mean anyone that's going to challenge it. Mm -hmm. So, Well, I think that we're in an era where, you know, youth and um, folks who are in college right now I think are definitely – taking less shit. Mm -hmm. And so with the, 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 the space that social media opens up, I think it gives people options. Options mm -hmm. to like, okay, if this professor is not hearing me, I'm going to post this shit on Twitter yeah. and see who hears me. And mm -hmm. so there's definitely kind of counter publics that are forming. Yep. Um, and youth are, I think today, are really utilizing alternative space to, one, make their voice heard, two, check that their voice is valuable and they're getting value from, they're getting value outside the classroom by using social media. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, three, they're um, learning that, like, okay, like, you know, I can become famous from a YouTube video. So yeah. I think they're recognizing that they can call out stuff in ways that, like, maybe not necessarily our generation, because we're both late 20s and early 30s, but, mm -hmm. like, maybe our parents' generation where it's like, mm -hmm. well, girl, just be happy that we at University yeah. of Richmond. Yep. We hear full scholarship, child. Mm -hmm. Don't say nothing, child. <laughs> right? Just, just come to my room and we'll talk about them. Yeah, yeah. And I think mm -hmm. that's changing. Uh -huh. Um for sure, I see it not just in the students that I've like interacted with, but just like, just you know, in in the media right now, and mm -hmm. and I think that that's a good thing. Um, I think of course we have to be careful because I don't I'm not like advocating for like cancel culture, yeah. but I do think that like you know even as young black folks like who love black folks, mm -hmm. um, the critique and the the you know me calling out say. Um, issues of uh, gender inequality or homophobia in black spaces, it should come from a place of love. Mm -hmm. And so it should be done by us and for us yes. um, instead of, you know, doing it in, in other spaces. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I, I worry about too around like teaching in a predominantly PWI school. It's like yeah. sometimes when my students of color are like presenting about really nuanced, complicated issues that impact their community, I'm like, girl, don't give it all away mm -hmm. because you don't want <laughs> yeah. the the larger majority kind of like, like, oh, well, that's what I thought. These yeah, you don't want to air the dirty laundry out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's a balance. There's mm -hmm. definitely a balance. Like, I'm not going to present about, like, homophobia in the black community in a class of all white people. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is this is, um, this is is in our house, in yep. our home place. Um, and a lot of people looked at me funny with my colorism work. I was going to ask reason. you that. Yeah. yeah so did you find, what was the balance that you found? Because I know you're very passionate passionate about the issue um, around colorism mm -hmm. 
and just like the layers yes. that it that it brings up in terms of um, beauty politics and black love, mm-hmm. um, intersectionality, intersectionality, like um, patriarchy. Like it is such mm-hmm. an intersectional issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and people can find your special on CNN. Yes. How can they find that? Just so, we, so before we go on. So a uh, workshop that I did in Richmond was actually videotaped and featured on CNN's Black in America 5. CNN. <laughs> With Soledad O'Brien. So if you go to YouTube and you search like uh, Black in America 5, it'll come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was featured in there. Uh, a group from Philly was featured in there. Uh, Yaba Blay, who was like a famous uh, colorism researcher and just a dope individual. She's on there as well. Did so. you get to meet with the folks that were also featured? Um, I got to meet Tim Wise. He's also featured. Come so on. if you're familiar yes. with Tim Wise and anti-racism and stuff, mm. I got to meet him, which was really cool. But I didn't get to meet Yaba Blay, but I would love to meet her if so. she's listening. <laughs> My name is Kiera. Uh, I hope she's listening to this raggedy-ass podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm glad that this came up because I would love for you to tell us about kind of the the nuanced experiences, also the complications and complexities that came up with that. Because how did you wrestle with being critiqued by folks that look like you because you were bringing up this issue that we have been, not all of us, but many of us have been conditioned to just like not talk about. Sweep under the rug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on, sweep under the rug. <laughs> Shane, let's plug again yeah. with your play. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... So for me, well, let me start by like sharing an experience, something mm. that happened to me. So I, many, many years ago, uh, had a table at a Kwanzaa festival here in Richmond. Um, and it was a great opportunity. It was a really cool event. And it Richmond was great. City or University of Richmond? Um, City of Richmond. Or, or like, yeah, just Richmond. Outside. Here, yeah. So um, it was great. It was really cool. Um, and so I'm sitting there and someone comes up to me. And, you know, I started out kind of young. So I was probably 20 when I started with this work. So I was there with my whole family. Um, they stepped aside to get food or something. I don't know what happened. So I was at the booth by myself. So a woman comes up to me, a black woman, and um, she's like, you know, asking me questions about the book and about who I am. And she's like, wow, how old are you? And I told her that I was 20. I was probably 20 or 21. And I told her how old I was. And she was like, oh, wow, you're very young. She was like, so let me ask you something else. What do you really know about colorism? And so I said, excuse me? Mm. And she was like, well, first off, you're not dark-skinned. She was like, second of all, you're very young, and I don't see what you can tell other people Mm. about colorism. And I said, "Uh, well, ma'am, I'm doing research on colorism, and although I have not been directly uh, affected by colorism, I have witnessed it, and this is something that I I can identify from experiences that I've had Mm. with other people. Mm. And I told her that, you know, I'm doing the work because we all can learn from this, and this is something that we all need to know about so this is not something that's that's in the past. Mm. Colorism continues to be perpetuated by the media, by education, I would say, by different cultural realms. Jobs. Um, yeah, employment. Working class jobs. Mm-hmm. So think about hotel staff, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And who they put in the front and who exactly. works in the yeah, back. That's what I was going yeah, towards. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I'm telling her all this, and she's like, well, I um, really know about colorism and this, this, and that, and I'm the person that brought the Willie Lynch letter to Richmond and just all this crazy, bizarre talk. Mm-hmm. And um, by then, like, my family came back and then she was kind of talking a little different and then she left. But that is like forever etched in my uh, memory 
because I was just so taken aback by uh, another black person, an older black person too, an mm-hmm. elder, coming at me like that. Mm-hmm. And if I really would have been a little more vulnerable and a little bit more uh, naive at the time, I would have let that just stifle me and stop me. And mm-hmm. because that's what those comments were meant to do. Mm-hmm. It either uh, made her feel uneasy that this was being unpacked, like you said, this was being touched and this was being yanked from under the rug, mm-hmm. or either maybe she saw a little of herself and me talking about it or something made her uncomfortable. Well, there's so many layers to it because I, I experienced this obviously where I feel like when you talk about intersectionality as a as a queer black male um that is very embracing of my femme side Mm -hmm. i experienced as well as talking about um queerness Mm -hmm. and kind of the simultaneity of blackness and queerness Mm -hmm. and how you know my body i can't separate them so i my blackness informs my queerness and my queerness informs my blackness and Mm -hmm. vice versa um but i think there's a little bit of ageism mixed into it and i think one of the things that i'm sensing from just my very small pocket of, of black community in my 31 years of living is that um, there's like a not just ageism but there's not an appreciation for the ways that times have changed and space has yeah. been made for a young black woman to talk about something that maybe our mothers or grandmothers didn't have the agency or felt that they didn't have the agency mm-hmm. to talk about at the time mm-hmm. um, and all of that roots back to like a big part of my work which is politics of respectability yeah. right so it goes yeah. into this like this assimilation and conformity and if we just keep our head down mm-hmm. and don't talk about how Michelle is being pushed to the, the front desk of the hotel yeah. and dark skin Michelle is in the back of the hotel mm-hmm. like a lot of that were just things that I think were so ingrained to not bring up yeah especially when the manager of the hotel was a black man yeah um double whammy yeah and yeah. so it's very hard um to embrace the fact that like girl with Increased representation means increased voice, mm-hmm. increased agency. And so if a black woman like you who is highly educated is not using her PhD to critique the home place, mm-hmm. right, to go back home mm-hmm. and say, look, there are some things we got to get together. Yeah. Um, then, what, then what else are you going to be doing? Being like, you know, some theorist in an armchair, as E. Patrick Johnson says, right. and just critiquing from the ivory tower? Like, yeah. no, you're using the tools of the academy to go home and be like, look, yeah. we need to love all our black babies. Mm-hmm. Everybody black. That's a good article title, critiquing the home place. You need to save. You need to remember that. You need to. You need to write. I don't that think you that. realize, but this podcast is a part of my methodology. So what yeah. I'm doing really is just reading off my dissertation chat. Uh, <laughs> oh, I got the dissertation pulled up right here. Like, let me, let me hit this. <laughs> let me hit this point right quick. That's so cool, though. I love it. I love it. No, but I think you're. You're. I think you really um, embody kind of like an intersectional praxis mm-hmm. in a way um, and that was my that's um, methodology yeah I mean, my um research my framework with yeah. intersectionality in my dissertation and i also feel like there's a little and tell me if i'm over overreaching but i also think there's a little bit of like um barrier and complication in terms of like black love because like with you mm-hmm. it seems like you want to be accepted and loved that loved by your elders mm-hmm. and supportive for the work that you're doing and so for mm-hmm. me i feel like it hurts deeper when the woman is your elder that is saying like, why are you studying this, et cetera? Cause for me, like yeah. being at this school, like I love university of Richmond, of course we're yes. alums. So there's yes. a complicated relationship Eight. there. But at the same time, it's like if, a, if an older white man came up to me and was trying to talk to me about like why I shouldn't be studying homophobia, I'd be like, Oh, well you're white. Oh. <laughs> but when it comes from our community, 
it hurts in a different way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it wears on you in a different way. Mm-hmm. If it was a white woman, I'm sure it's like, okay, well, let me just go back to my methodology and make sure that I got my shit together. Mm. But when it's somebody from the home place, yeah, it's different. And for me, like it was a it, it, uh, experiencing that, um, you know, reaction to my work, especially with the CNN thing. I got a lot of backlash with, you know, you shouldn't be exposing kids to that. I got threats. I got threatening letters, everything. Really? Yeah. Um, but mm. with with that, my very first experience with colorism was in middle school, and mm. it wasn't in the home because my I mean you've been around my family plenty of times. All they love black shades. people. Yes, <laughs> all different shades, all different colors. Your family's very everybody black. Yeah, yes. So like, you know, people treating people different because they're darker or lighter. I'd never seen that. Honestly, I'd never experienced that. So one day at school, like in middle school, like me and my group of little black friends, little black girls, we're talking about like who we like. And I'm saying I like some guy and they're like, but he's dark skinned. And I was like, so? And they were like, <laughs> well, they were like, you need to be with someone that's um, lighter so you can have light babies and they have good hair. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's good hair? I was like, why does it matter if they're light and they just grade. started laughing yeah six six or seventh grade and they just started laughing at me so i went home i'm really close with my family mm. so like i was telling my mom everything and my dad and the rest of my family so i told my mom i was like so these girls are saying i need to meet somebody with, with light skin and their hair and good hair and i was like what is that and my mom was like that's nonsense she was she she told me straight up she didn't shy away from it like there's some people that sweeps up under the rug i didn't come up like that i came up with my family addressing stuff head on like mm-hmm. oh um people in my family I, when i was younger i'd be like oh why oh they're two men why are they in the room and my parents would explain to me well some people are gay some people are, and i knew that and from then on out i never questioned anything like that mm-hmm. um same thing with the colorism thing when she told me what that was i was like oh okay so they're misinformed so that sparked my interest mm-hmm. so i didn't grow up with Sweeping stuff under the rug, not saying this. Don't say that. Oh, no, that's not, you know, proper to talk about that. Mm. I grew up the complete opposite. Come on from seventh grade, becoming a scholar. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Yeah, but that's even, I think that you're, that's, for me, that's like what black academic really means in the sense of like, I think when we get access to these tools, like good schools and scholarship and going on CNN, et cetera, like Mm -hmm. having the PhD behind your name and being black really means, um, Going back, you know, Sankofa is the African mm-hmm. proverb, but mm-hmm. going back and, and seeing what else was there and using the tools of the, you know, academy or wherever you are, um, media tools, et cetera, even as, you know, black hairstylists, like mm-hmm. using those tools that we have access to to now answer some of those questions in our lives. You're like, hmm, that was strange. Like even with me being um, black and Jamaican, mm-hmm. my black experience is, a, is also an immigrant experience. Yeah. So having a mother that really ingrained in me that like, if you go on a job interview, you need to have a shape up. And if you don't have your hair shaped up, nobody's going to see you as professional. Mm-hmm. Or you don't look beautiful when you let your hair just, like, grow mm-hmm. outside of the lines. Or, mm-hmm. you know, as a black man, you need to keep short hair. And, like, mm-hmm. that inspired so much of how I have really embraced my feminine side as a as a young man mm-hmm. because it was so um, suppressed um, yeah. as, a, as being raised as a black male that, mm-hmm. like, you know, you need to play a sport. You need to keep your hair short. Mm-hmm. You need to wear, you know these kind of iron jeans and these kinds of things. It's like, yeah. well, the girls get to wear skirts and all these other flavors. Uh-huh. Like, why can't I experience? And so yeah. my feminine side, really, I began to embrace it just because of the lack of options mm-hmm. that we give young black men. Yeah. Um. So again, I think 
that having that intersectional identity from, as you mentioned, from seventh grade, where you're thinking mm-hmm. about these things, mm-hmm. I would imagine that, like, you know, getting your PhD um, just gives you, like, more tools to go back and say, let me figure out what had happened. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I, I do a lot of that, like, looking back. And then even thinking about, like, my childhood. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I look at, like, specific decisions that, like, my parents made and stuff with, like, toys and things like All that. And in my history. family, yeah, and, and my family was slash is very woke. So, like, I look back <laughs> at things and I'm like, okay. So, like, when I was younger, my mom didn't want me to have, I had some kind of kitchen set. And she said one day she just saw me sweeping and just having so much fun sweeping. And my mom was like, nope. You, she's not going to be confined to playing with no broom and playing with no kitchen set. So, I had the trucks and I had blocks and I had um, Hot Wheels and I had... The stuff where you built the little tracks for the cars, and I had That's so funny. I'm like, set. I have Barbies, girl, <laughs> <laughs> and I had Barbies too. I had Barbies you had my too. toys, and I had yours. <laughs> I used to do her hair, everything. <laughs> Shoot, I was doing hair and building the little um blocks up. I didn't. We could. Have, I didn't want those damn blocks. You could have them. I didn't want no damn Tonka truck. I had the Tonka truck. The you know what I did like though, which what? I felt like was still was very queer. I love the train station. Yeah, me too. The train, the train track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had that too. That Loved has translated it. into my life today. I still love trains. Yeah, me too. Oh, okay. I just got that. I was talking about Amtrak. (laughs) No, no, I do like Amtrak. I wish they would speed up. They'd be slow. But yeah, I was into I was into cars, and I'm I kid you not. I did really learn how to drive through like Need for Speed. Yeah, oh, Gran Turismo. Um, I had the steering wheel where you put it on your lap. Yes, me too. I don't like that. I did love car games. Um, yeah, I had a lot of car video games. That was the only thing I really liked as a kid, Um, and that was the only thing that I played if like other boys were over. What about Mario Kart? The go-kart thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it. I thought Mario Kart was very queer. All the colors and the glitter and the, the, you got to run over stars. I was like, I can run over a star, honey. (laughs) (laughs) So you're right. But again, like, I just think so much of a black childhood, just like the flamboyantness of Mm -hmm. it and the colors Mm -hmm. and just the things that we do in our black homes that the kids in the neighborhood are not doing. You know what I mean? Like, we lived in the white suburbs, but like, our house was a Jamaican household. So. Once those doors, once you came, you know, beyond those doors, it was like a different world. Mm-hmm, same. Um, and so I do think that, like, even us going to a school like this, mm-hmm. it's just so interesting to think about how you can use the platform that you get from your education mm-hmm. to really just, like, go back and think about your, like, black-ass mm-hmm. life. Yes. Um, so how has your, has new audiences or, like, even younger folks reacted to the fact that you study colorism? I want to get back um... to that. So I've I've been able to kind of open up a little bit about my work this year as I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually um, helped with an event, um, a screening of the movie Imitation of Life. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a classic movie. You need to watch it. What's it about? Um, it's basically about um, this woman and her child, this black woman and her child um, that is um, mixed, I think. I guess her father was white. But the, the, the child passes for white. And then a uh, white woman and then her child. And they, they, like, meet each other. And they end up living together. This is, like, in the late 50s. And the um, black lady ends up being, like, a maid for the white woman. And they're literally, like, this family. Like, they just kind of come together and bond or whatever. Well, the child, the mixed child, passes as white. But her mom is black. And all this stuff kind of just happens around that. Where the uh, girl is, like, 
rejecting her blackness. Mm. Um, and she does not want to be associated with her mother. Her mother keeps popping up trying to save her. Mm. And she's like, no, go away. I want to be white. I want to be white. So we show that movie. It's a movie everyone listening should watch. It's a classic film. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to talk a little bit about colorism at the end. And I offered it to my students to come to this event for extra credit. A lot of my students were there. A lot of um, black women came out. And I think there's people that just want to know more about it and are just trying to make sense of maybe experiences they've had. I even had a colleague tell me, hey, I'm going to send a student of mine to you. I said, why? She was like, because she's um, going through some things with colorism and I feel like you could talk with her. Mm. Um, So, um, yeah, I definitely see that kind of like, I think people are coming to the realization that, wow, I went through a thing and this thing has something to do with complexion and I got to process it somehow. Mm. And I need someone to process it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. That's what I love about the classroom too is how the classroom can be a space for like working out your scholarship. Yeah. Like I definitely use some weeks of my class to be like, okay, I'm definitely using this article in my work. Yeah. So, like, let me see how they interpret it. Yep. And let me talk to them about it. Yes. And they don't even be realizing that, like, this thing that they're reading for class, I'm like, girl, I'm an expert in this. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> tell me. So, like, I like when they critique it. I like when they disagree because yeah. I'm seeing, like, blind spots that I may have. Yeah. I just think the classroom is such a dynamic space. Mm-hmm. But it's also this kind of, like, secret investigator space because the students, I think, seldomly realize that you're also learning. Yeah. Um. And I think Definitely. when that happens, it could be like a really dope experience. Uh-huh. But I kind of like the fact that it is a little like an, an unknown rule. Yep. Like I love how they will interpret an article that I think I know so much about. And they will be like, well, I also saw this and I also mm-hmm. felt this. And you're like, yeah. So for me, I yeah. really try to like tell my students all the time that the classroom is like a, a place of exchange. Like mm-hmm. I don't know all that y'all know. Yeah. And you don't know all that I know. Yeah. And so. That con- and I, that's what I love about having you know students of color or other queer students or just international students, et cetera, mm-hmm. just non-white male students in, in mm-hmm. general, like mm-hmm. students that are different mm-hmm. um, in my classes because I'm able to just like learn so much mm-hmm. through their um, maybe similar but very dissimilar black experiences. Yeah. Um, and also the white students who come in knowing that like being white is not like your ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. And so they come in bringing in kind of also nuance cultural experiences we talked about even before thanksgiving break like a toolkit for going home in the sense of like okay now we've had this like quote-unquote woke-ass class yeah how do we go home now talk about this stuff yeah and go back to spaces where maybe the dinner especially for some of my white students where the dinner Mm -hmm. table is a little Mm -hmm. homophobic or the dinner table is a little bit like i just wish these black people would stop all you know what i mean so like how do we go back to those spaces i had a student tell me a couple days ago that um if she's listening shout out to her Mm -hmm. um i was like so how do you now go back home and like talk about all these experiences she's like it's really funny that you asked that because over thanksgiving break her mom was like so um do you have any um any any black or poc professors and she was like yeah actually i do i have one professor um who is black and then she said like a couple days later or something her mom was like do you also have any professors in the lgbtq community she was like Mm. yeah the same professor who's black (laughs) just like and her mom was like oh that's nice so just like she got this like moment of like telling her mom about you know the things that we learned in our class but yeah i think and i think that that's also important um to the college experience is like when you know that you're teaching things that are kind of changing the worldview of your students, mm-hmm. giving them some tools to lead the classroom. Yes. Because I worry that, like, 
some of my students, particular students who are white or students who identify as heterosexual, Mm -hmm. learning about queer theory and critical race Mm -hmm. theory and black studies Mm -hmm. and, you know, critiquing movies like BAPS Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. Yeah, I saw what you were doing and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. We use it to talk a lot about black joy, but also about, like, um, the exploitation of, like, black labor and black joy. Uh Like, how the white man's life, like, became so much better because Mm -hmm. of the two black women, right? Uh Um... So giving them all these tools that opens up their minds yeah. and then expecting them to just like go home. Yeah. So like how do they handle Christmas break conversations and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's an interesting thing to to bring up in the class because I could sense that there was a tension mm-hmm. um, in my class around like, okay, I'm, me- I'm seeing my mom this weekend. I'm like, I want to tell her about these things, but like, I don't want yeah, to get kicked out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> ruffle me feathers, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. But does your family... You find that you've been able to enhance the dinner conversations? Yeah, oh yeah. I imagine so. Because we, well... They're open to it. Yeah, and we're all kind of talking about um, similar things. Mm. And and no one really in my immediate family, like, strays away from talking about certain things. So it's... Yeah. Yeah. Good. I've never had that, like, stress of, like, oh, gosh, everyone's going to be this, this, and that, or they're going to be critical of what I'm going to say, what Mm. I say. So thank goodness. There has been one thing in the media that I feel like we need to hit on. So let's definitely talk about a little pop culture piece. Yeah. Uh, so I know there's something that you wanted to bring up. Um, I think we're going to talk about the Lizzo thing. Yeah. Yes. So a little background. I feel like there's this is there's so much circulating on this. Um, yeah. I'm a big Lizzo fan, yeah. so maybe I'm biased. Um, but I'm also a big fan of people that are disrupting politics of respectability mm-hmm. in the ways that especially... Um, black bodies that are seen as quote-unquote non-traditional yeah. in whatever facet yeah. um, are supposed to, like, yes, express yourself and love your black body, but, like, mm-hmm. express yourself the way that we want you to. So the whole Lizzo thing circulating about what she wore to the NBA game yeah. or whatever, which yeah. I, I don't follow sports, but she wore yeah, a, a dress <laughs> with a booty cut out yeah. and had a big thong on, yep. and <laughs> people are up in arms. Yes, um, uproar. Oh uproar, yeah. yeah. And we just watched... Um, the read and what they had to say about it, which was interesting, but I want to know more so, you know, your opinion about this. Yeah. So I feel like that, well, I feel like a couple things. I feel like, first of all, um, everyone has their own rights, their, their own body and what they do with it mm-hmm. is up to them. And then in that same token, everyone has their own opinions about what people do with said body mm-hmm. and what they don't do with said body. Mm-hmm. And that's their opinion. We're all entitled to those opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, me being like a critical scholar and looking at things deeply. Come on. I feel <laughs> that. I mean, so I so I, I, um, I rock with a lot of the female heavy hitters and like the rap pop game right now so Meg the Stallion I'm a yes. big fan I'm also a fan of taking it back a little bit Little Kim Me back too. in the day Hardcore is one of my favorite CDs so uh, I'm thinking about those kind of things I'm thinking of um, those people and like thinking about like your Nicki Minaj and other people like that who will wear scantily clad things and um, have their booty out and do this that and a third and it's much 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 more accepted um, then, you know, someone like Lizzo and someone of her size and shape and, you know, um, doing that. Mm. So for me, I even talked to someone that said, well, cause I, they were talking about how they felt like it was distasteful. And I said, well, you have hot girl Meg, you got 
you know, Nicki Minaj and these other people doing the same thing, but to games, might I add, they were. Yeah, yeah. yes, and I and it's not really perceived the same. And this person said, "Well, yeah, but they actually look halfway decent with it on." Mm. So there's a big, um, you know, underlying uh, kind of theme of fat shaming mm. and um, just kind of uh, politics with the body and mm-hmm. things like that um, mm. that's going on here, and it's pervasive. And I think that Lizzo proved that point and then some when she did that, when she released that picture, when it came out that she did that, mm. because you saw who fell where and you heard very uh, openly mm. what people had to say ab- about her um, exposing herself. And if we could literally, someone needs to make a chart and have Lizzo's picture and find a whole bunch of comments, maybe five comments from Facebook, mm. Twitter, Instagram about what she did. And then have, let's have Meg the Stallion and then five comments about her racy outfits. Mm. And let's compare and contrast. And I guarantee you there's going to be a significant difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And the question we need to ask ourselves is why? Why is it this difference? Mm-hmm. Um, and why uh, is this being like perpetuated? Because it's been like this for a long time, and I the, feel like. And the lie that like big black girls have not been doing it as mm-hmm. you know Monique told us with her early early stand up years like yeah. when I look at Lizzo um, and it's not just about her her body size but like in general like when I look at Lizzo and think about like my family and like yeah. going back to the home place as we said like most black women like look and have various sizes yeah. and shapes and, and figures and we tend to be thicker and outside of like photoshop and Beyonce mm-hmm. type money like what mm-hmm. black women looks like Beyonce mm-hmm. all the time of their life like mm-hmm. everybody's body changes Mm -hmm. at various times and so I just feel like you know I taught my students how you know um media specificity is very relatable yeah um that comes from one of our friends uh, Amara Christian who's a a scholar in Chicago and like really talks about how like you know Lizzo doesn't just have big black women as her fan base like young white girls are into her queer men are into her Mm -hmm. um because i think people are just sick of trying to fit into these boxes and i think as black folks in particular like we need to stop following this kind of like politics of respectability rule Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day like if you're raising your kids right like your kids are your kids in your responsibility. Yeah. Oh, Lizzo man. don't have no kids. No. So Lizzo mm-hmm. can wear whatever she wants to the game. And even if she did have kids, she ain't these other people's kids' mama. Yeah, and I'm not yeah. I'm not looking um I'm I don't worship celebrities. I yeah, love Lizzo. Same. I get down with her. Yes, I would cry if I saw her in the Wawa. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm not like deciding my life's um, based decisions on what she does. based on what she does. Yeah. So if Lizzo does something that makes me upset, like I would not wear that to a game. But at the same yeah. time, it doesn't upset me because I'm not living my life according to yeah. a celebrity. And I think yeah. we need to we need to critique that as well. How we mm-hmm. have these high expectations for people who are Definitely. in you know positions of power or who are celebrities. But at the end of the day, like I'm sure if you did see Lizzo in the Wawa, she's just a regular black girl. Yep, probably got on sweatpants. And <laughs> yeah, like head wrapped up. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> there's that. And then two, the other thing that I found uncomfortable from this situation, and I think it's very telling, and I find it in a lot of these situations, is that. Why do black men have so much to say I've noticed on that social too. media yes. about this? And it's like, I have noticed that. But at the end of the day, like, 
to the straight black men, like, y'all are, so, there's some bullshit in those mm-hmm. comments as well because, like, y'all want girls like Lizzo. Yeah. And y'all want the trans girls and y'all want, you know, the femme black men. Y'all just don't claim us yeah, I was about to in say, public. I was about to say, that kind of stuff. And I just had this conversation Such bullshit. about, like, BBW and, like, I know people, men. BBW, um, explain it for the girls. Who, um, I think it's, is it, um, Big beautiful women is that what BBW stands for? Yeah, I look it up. And so, I think so. there there are like you know lies. There are yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and there are like dark spaces. And when I say dark, I mean uh, not visible. I mean like covert, hidden spaces where people you know um, talk to women who are bigger and seek out women who are bigger um, and fetish stuff and all kinds of stuff. And there's nothing and wrong with stuff, that. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. But my thing is. Claim what you embrace, yeah. What you embrace in the dark, why can't you embrace it in the oh, light? And that 100%. bothers me. Again, that's why in so much of my work, I talk about kind of you can't separate blackness from queer queerness because mm-hmm. like that same argument can come over into my community space mm-hmm. where there are so many men that do not claim feminine men yeah. in public, mm-hmm. but they're in our DMs. Yep, they are yep. the basketball players, the NBA, the athletes. Mm-hmm. They're in our DMs, yep. Yep. but. When it comes to claiming us in public, oh, you know, yeah. we're ruining the masculine black mm. man, and we are um, trying to be like women. You weren't mm. saying that when you were in our DM. Right, right. So again, yeah. I think that these are just pockets of white supremacy that are mm-hmm. operating through the black body. Yeah, and, well said. Mm-hmm, and yeah. that's that's the way that we have to see it. So like with the Lizzo thing, I was so, I actually, to be honest, like maybe I have more hope for us because of how much I love black people, but yeah. like... I was surprised that it circulated in the way that it did because I just feel like we've had this conversation. I thought, like, you know, when Monique got famous and really had that whole, like, comedy stint, like, mm-hmm. making fun of the big black woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, the um, skinny women. Yeah. Like, skinny yeah. bitches are evil or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that's when we kind of had that conversation, and that was, what, like, the late 90s? Yeah. So I'm surprised that people are still surprised that Lizzo deserves a bag, and she deserves a bag whether she decides to code switch, lose weight, Yep. Um, wear whatever, yep. um, whether she wants to or not. I just don't think that, I think Lizzo has told us from the beginning, I think Cardi B has told us from the beginning that she's hood mm-hmm. and she's going to stay hood. Mm-hmm. I think Lizzo has told us that she is all types of sizes and she's going to stay all types of sizes. Yep. Yep. Um, and I think, you know, Megan Thee Stallion has done the same thing. I think mm-hmm. Little Kim has always said like, yeah. R&B and rap is patriarchal and yeah. I'm going to change it and y'all yeah. are going to listen. You're not going to listen, you're going to buy it. Yeah. Um, I think yep. these, these women have been telling us this and totally. I just don't understand why we keep coming back in circles, and I think it's just because we keep um, not critiquing the fact that, like, you know, white supremacy still functions in our communities, yep. telling black women how they're supposed to wear their hair, mm-hmm. what size they're supposed to be. Yep. Um, but then the the weird part of that is, as you as you bring up, like, but in the secret secret, we love Lizzo. Yeah. We yep. fucking love Lizzo. Mm-hmm. We really do. Yep. <laughs> that's the thing that, like, that's the gag. The gag is that Lizzo is getting dick. Yeah. And we know, we know that. <laughs> I think, too, it's so, I think that it's so ingrained in this Western lens of things. Mm-hmm. And I even think about me, like, as a woman, go on Instagram and I'll see these people and, you know, their shapes and their, like, super small waists and their, you know, whatever the dimensions, whether it's Photoshopped mm-hmm. or natural or plastic surgery or not. Mm-hmm. But I, there, there's a point, and it's not every day, but sometimes I'll see a picture and I'll think, well, damn, like, I don't look like that. And that's something that we all, I feel like, 
whether it's to a, a certain extent, whether it's to a great extent or a smaller extent, mm-hmm. kind of deal with. And I agree with you. I think it's a manifestation of white supremacy of and course. whiteness and hegemony and yes. all all that stuff that there should be a standard. And that then we don't face following. it. We don't. This yeah, is the thing we don't that we deal don't. With this it. is the thing that we do sweep under the rug. Yeah. Because you're right. There's the, even with my own family background. There's so much around like the lumping of uh, sexuality and gender identity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're making a really good point about just it is this under the rug yeah. situation. And I'm kind of surprised at the response of a lot of um, black folk to um, Lizzo in general, like even her stint and then just her in general or people who are bigger inside. Because us as black folk, we tend to be thicker from jump. Like, I mean, I was just telling my mom today, like, I think the last time I was at size zero, I was like a sixth grader. Like, I was, you know, and then I went to a sixth. So, Come like, on. you know, like, like you know, it's just thickness runs in and out. And I'm like an 8'10 now. And, like, some days I'm like, man, I need to try to lose weight. I don't like the, the number on the scale. I work out four days a week, you know? So, I'm like, okay, I'm healthy. My vitals are good. Like my my blood pressure is like one ten over seven. Like you know, I'm a very Come healthy on, person. Yes, I'm a very healthy person. Not I'm receipts. Gonna, <laughs> I have to like step back and think. Like, wait, Kiara, you're thinking kind of crazy now. Yes. Like you're how you're supposed to be. You're healthy. You look good. Yes. Or whatever. It's still a part of me where I'm looking like comparing or thinking I should look a certain way but i say all that to say i'm surprised we as black folk are responding to her and to size the way that we are when most of us are um thicker and that's just our genes that's just our genetics because she's embracing it yeah i just think that we i think one of the things that we're scared of is like um uninhibited black joy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and she's embracing it whether it's curated or planned or whatever it was Mm -hmm. planned for her time magazine launch like whatever it was or wasn't um i just think that looking at Lizzo and identifying with Lizzo Mm -hmm. and seeing Lizzo as beautiful because she is, um, people don't realize that like, it's a moment that it's representing so much more. Um, and I was reading this thing that said like, we're, we're not listening to what's really happening that by Lizzo Mm -hmm. being over flamboyant and extra with how she's revealing, it will teach the little fat girl somewhere that she can Mm -hmm. wear shorts to school. Yeah. And like, what about that? Like, are we missing that whole boat? There are kids out there that are struggling with with weight. And then imagine being a kid struggling with that. Like, I know when I was a kid, I basically ate what I wanted to eat. I was a funny eater, but, like, if I wanted ice cream, then I ate the damn ice cream. (laughs) But, like, imagine being, like, bigger bigger and you're looking at what you see on TV and you're probably, you may be getting teased at school. And that's a whole other conversation about because kids in school can be ruthless as far as pointing out difference and dwelling on those differences and stuff like that. Mm. So what about that kid in middle America that's going through that and that is searching for someone that, you know, can be kind of like a role model for them and then they see that and they feel a little more human because we tend to dehumanize Mm. and we tend to kind of single out, especially kids. We be rough. Yeah. It's rough, yeah. I just think it's very hard to grow up when you... Um, are constantly told by media that you are mm-hmm. different or that yeah. you are not enough. Yeah. And so if there is a celebrity that is using their platform in these ways being like, look, I love myself. It's y'all that yeah. have the problem. We need to listen to her. Yeah, and then that that was my other point about what I wanted to say too about that. So, like, I was telling someone, I feel like there's nothing wrong. Everyone has their days, or I have my days where I'm like, man. And especially, like, after, like, 
I've been married for about a year or so. Like after that, I kind of sometimes I'm like, I'm cooking dinner. Or I'll wake up, go to work again. Uh, go to gym, cook. Dinner. Like I, sometimes I feel like okay, I'm just let me put on a thong today. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you mean. <laughs> sometimes uh, you know, like let me that. change it up. <laughs> right. Let me wear this. So, look. There's nothing okay, wrong with that. I want to put on this freakum dress. You're and not nuanced. that I'm gonna, You're yeah, nuanced. And not that You're I'm not just doing a scholar. anything. Yeah, exactly. Not that I'm doing anything crazy or anything like that. So what but if I you just want to feel. I, I want to like feel good in this moment. And maybe I want to take a picture. And maybe I ask someone to take it for me and put it up high and get my angle. And maybe I'm gonna Come put on. that shit on Instagram. Come on. I mean, if I want to do that, sue me. <laughs> yeah. Good I, lord. I just think again, it goes back to intersectionality. Yeah. And like, as black folks, we are complicated people. Yeah. And we've always queered spaces. Like, what I mean mm-hmm. by that is we've always looked at what you're supposed to wear. Black people have always looked at, okay, ain't supposed to go to that basketball game? I'm going to be on the team. You're right. Ain't supposed to wear this to the to the workplace? I'm. A, <laughs> they say I can't have my hair in locks? Yeah. I'm going to get a big-ass weave. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I think that we've always queered and reimagined and looked at rules that mm-hmm. we never made in the first place mm-hmm. and said, like, girl, we're going to mm-hmm. defy these rules. Mm-hmm. And I think that Lizzo um, probably has grown up where she has not seen a lot of women that look like her that mm-hmm. are dipping it and doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think she's been like, oh, I'm not only going to dip it and do it. Yeah. I'm going to disrupt the whole... Do it in this, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I think, like, she's not really doing anything different than, mm-hmm. like, what most, you know, black folks in history have always done, which has, mm-hmm. which has led to opening doors. Mm-hmm. So I just think she's, she's disrespecting the face. And, like, at the end of the day, like, I hate how, like, when we watch the read interview, it's all about, like, people like, oh, we have to think about it. It's a family place. The mm-hmm. basketball team that, like, upholds series of toxic masculinity, you think about family place. Yeah. The way that cheerleader, cheerleaders, why do they have to eat? Why do we have to have all women cheerleaders mm-hmm. if we're all about inclusivity and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about family values. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, if I think family values is just, like, coded for hegemony, heteronormativity, yeah. and centering this kind of, like, mom, dad, and the dog, and two yeah. brothers and sisters, this <laughs> nuclear lies. 2.5 kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not buying that. And I like that Lonnie on the, on the real, like, yeah. let everybody talk. Yeah. And then she was just like Yeah, let me let me read this for y'all the right <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. And yeah. she made it very clear that like y'all are are um kind of dancing around the issue that mm-hmm. we're not comfortable seeing Lizzo front and center. My friend brought up a good point that I thought was interesting too about um and I don't know if I agree with this, I'm just bringing it for the conversation, mm-hmm. but just like are we are we mad about the Lizzo's and the Cardi B's because as people of color, and to some extent queer folks, we have been um, told that if we assimilate or if we lose the weight or if we straighten the hair, um, if we get the PhD, mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll, we'll make it. And now you got these people that are like, I'm just going to run past that. Define us. Yeah, and yeah. so are we, are we mad at the city girls because they're not yeah. college educated, they're not code switching, yeah. they're not learning how to quote unquote talk proper, yeah. air quotes. And we're like, damn, I spent seven years in grad school um, talking proper and doing all this shit that I was told to do. And mm-hmm. these girls just coming and just taking a bag. Like, oh, what? Yeah. And I think that there's... I think about it like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if I agree with that. I just think that, like, again, it's about nuance. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to let... We have to listen to black people when they say who they are. Yeah. And I think Definitely. Lizzo told us who she is yeah. from the beginning. And I think that's why she has mainstream and also some black following and queer following. And that's why she's circulating the way that she is because mm-hmm. I think people are hungry for that kind of truth, whether it's curated or playing with a team or not. Like, yeah. I don't feel that kind of truth with Beyonce, no tea, no shade, uh, uh, but like, 
you know I, it's going to get there. I, I like I like Beyonce. But... I do as well. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I don't. I don't feel that truth when it's very curated. You could tell that it's about having a black car and having 30 people do your makeup and all this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas I feel like Lizzo, of course, has a team, but there's still that vibe of just like, she looks like she just, you know, went to Wawa and got a smoothie <laughs> and then performed on her concert. Like, yeah. there's this like homegirlness to her yeah. that I think people resonate with, no matter your body size or anything. And I think that she also is doing a really good job, like, not talking that much about her size. She's just doing it. She's just mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. And that makes people uncomfortable, but it mm-hmm. also makes people rock with you because they're like, oh, oh, we don't have to do this talk. Like, I don't want to have to always give lectures about, well, as a gay black man. Yeah. No, just exactly. let me walk in the room. Yeah. Let me walk in the room and be just myself. Be. Yeah. I agree. I think she's doing that. Yeah. I don't think Cardi B's like, it's really hard to, yeah. to grow up in the hood. I think she did a little bit of that, but I think she's also just hood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you either hit follow or unfollow. Yeah. But she don't give a fuck. Exactly. <laughs> and I think the reason, like, well, two things. Like, I think the reason a lot of people kind of take to, like, your Lizzo's, your Cardi B, mm-hmm. City Girls, this and that. And this I love all me some music City I listen to. Yes, all, listen, all music I listen to as well. But um, I think, oh, well, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but mm-hmm. I feel like, I look to a lot of that music not because I'm trying to go do X, Y, Z or do X, Y, Z with that. Take your husband's bag overnight. no. (laughs) Yeah, that's not not why I listen to it. When he go to sleep, make sure you take that. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, it's more about like what you were just saying, like that not caring about what other people think. And I know me as a person, it's taken me a long time and I say this a lot, to get to the point where I truly, and I mean, I guess I probably have a little bit more work to do, but mm. compared to me 10 years ago, mm, me five years ago, same. I really am at this place of getting closer and closer to this place where I really don't care to be mm-hmm. the different one, the one that doesn't conform. Difficult. Yeah, the difficult one. Yeah, that that's a, that's a buzzword right there right now. Difficult. Because yeah, the of the Gabrielle Union stuff. Yes. The, the difficult one or the one that, well, everyone else is doing blah, 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 but Kiara, like, I feel like that could be my theme for, like, the last 45 years mm. of my life. And I'm actually to the point where I'm like, okay, I have my moments where I'm like, Lord, is this going on? But again, that comes from like my family background. My parents raised me to be okay with mm. being the only one, mm. you know, leading my own path, That's kind so of, much of the black marching experience. to my own drum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like for me, when I hear that kind of stuff on radio or on my uh, playlist and stuff, mm. I'm, I'm going to be listening to that because I'm like, okay, I'm driving to work and I'm like, yeah. I'm driving to work. I'm doing this and that in class and it. I got this non-traditional teaching style and that's what I am and that's what I do and that's what I own mm-hmm. and that's me or mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I had my hair in whatever, I had my, my hair in a bun yesterday and then I got my mom to put these long braids in and go down to my butt <laughs> and then I'm going to work the next day with these braids. I'm and going wherever these braids and I'm like, Kiera. whatever. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm still Dr. Kiera and I'm still Kiera. Period. <laughs> so I mean I feel like that that kind of um, yeah. music and stuff breaks that and then and then my last thing about that I feel like the people the naysayers about her and all these other women critiquing all these women I think that there's a lot of uh, there's there's tendencies in people to feel like. 
They're God. They're above all. They, they're going to judge. It's judgment day, and they're the damn judge. <laughs> and that's not how it is. No. That's not how it goes. And I feel like people that are like that tend to have the most skeletons and the most dirt. And Come I think on. what they do, they find other people, or they find you rocking with them other people, or they, they see whatever, and ooh, okay, that. I'm going to attack mm-hmm. that to make myself feel better about my stuff. When in reality, we should all be bringing our stuff to the fore, putting it on the table, yeah. and talking about it, and getting ourselves right, instead of having to tear down the next person. Cardi B has a whole quote on that. around. It's one of the songs, it's like, the bitches who pop the most shit. Yes. The ones, they don't, they don't. What is, oh, how they like, go? Oh my god. We the ones with this shit not together. <laughs> we we got it together. <laughs> yeah, that's what song is that? That's money. Yeah, that's yeah, money. yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah, it is. that it's is money. so. That yeah. is very true. Mm-hmm. I also think that, like you know, the the critical scholar in me, mm-hmm. it would not be surprised. Like Period. city girls and Lizzo had like you know very nice white women from the suburbs oh, as, like, yeah. as managing their team. <laughs> I would, I just wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, their image, their branding, whatever you want to call it, their authenticity, Yeah. I think it does, um, in terms of speaking about, you know, black dimensionalities and just like the nuanced black experiences and making space for all of it, mm-hmm. you know, the hood scholar, the mm-hmm. Lizzo, and then the well-put-together Michelle Obama, who yeah, is still yes. worthy of critique because yes. she's friends with old George Bush over there. <laughs> City girls ain't sitting up with George Bush. So, like, again, everybody's everybody's open for critique. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think at the end of the day, I don't want to knock somebody's freedom. Yeah, And the exactly. goal is black liberation, exactly. black freedom, yeah. queer expression. And so, again... Just to wrap it up, I would not yeah. wear what Lizzo wore to one yeah. of my classes. Personally, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. But either. I yeah. also, as a black male, yeah, she's a black woman. I don't really have that much to say about it besides how we've talked about it in the sense of like, even if I didn't agree and I had a staunch opinion against mm-hmm. it, I don't know why people who are not black women um, feel empowered to be like, well, it's disrespectful. Yeah. It's like, well, then don't wear it. Yeah, or don't look at it. Don't teach look her, at yeah. her. And I feel like as a, I'm going to raise my know. kids in a very queer life. Therefore, I think I will raise my kids with a value of like, be your own person. Mm-hmm. So that if my kid is at that basketball, I mean, hopefully I don't have a child that wants to go to a basketball game. <laughs> Jesus Lord. <laughs> but if my kid is at, if I'm at the basketball game with my child, um, you know, there are freaks everywhere. Yeah. yeah. There are, your daddy's a freak. Everybody's a freak. Like, <laughs> we all have different, you know, weird things about us. And so I think you should raise your kids in a way where they can see somebody. First of all, it's L.A. Like, mm-hmm. they can see somebody with their booty out at a basketball game. That's yeah. not going to change your kid's whole worldview. No, it's like, not. Like, then how are you raising your kids with any right? sense, sense of values? Like, yeah. my mother raised me around all straight people. Yeah. And that did not make me straight. Like, when we yeah. were out in the grocery store and I saw a man and a woman kissing each other, I was like, cool. That's not what uh-huh. I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, again, it's like yeah. your kids are going to be who they are and yeah. you just support that. And maybe your daughter will grow up to wear that um, thong mm-hmm. for the basketball game because she saw Lizzo, mm-hmm. but maybe she won't. But I don't think it actually has that much to do no. with, No, in know, the grand scheme of life, that one moment's not going to And it's determine. gone. She's entertainer of the year, so what else is going on yeah. in the words of Cynthia Bailey? <laughs> what else is happening? What else is going on? Yeah, a little bit. Are you on the new season? Um, I I was watching an episode the other day with Portia. 
talking to, I don't know who it was, her lawyer. Or Let's get to the Roche before we wrap up. Okay. Um, until this season, I have to say, I thought that Real Housewives of Atlanta was like somewhat scripted. I'm mm-hmm. sure it is. But like, I'm thinking this season, there's no way that it could be because why would Portia and Kenya, as strong, beautiful, and amazing as they are, let all of this go on the show? Like, it oh. must somewhat be, I mean, it is real. I'm sure that they're real, authentic women. In, in terms of their story. Mm-hmm. But I also just feel like Kenya's character has just taken like a whole, her character on the show, like what her image, what they have her as, you know, the villain, et cetera, on the show. Mm-hmm. So different to see this like side of her because she's, yeah. she's very submissive in her marriage. And I'm just yeah. like, the one person I really thought was reading some bell hooks in uh-huh. Prom Feminist Collective on the show. It's acting a little different. It's <laughs> Kenya. I just didn't think that she would marry somebody like him because he seems so, um, dominant and he's, he just mm. seems so man mm. in all of the wrong ways yeah yeah i don't like her partner oh I, I actually even though dennis cheated i think dennis seems really sweet and goofy like portia mm-hmm. um the other guy they don't even seem to have any anything yeah. he just doesn't seem very nice mm-hmm. in my opinion the way that the show is portraying him at mm-hmm. least mm-hmm. and i'm surprised that kenya more would even put him on the show if she knew that they were having those kinds of problems because mm-hmm. she seems a lot more about image than portia yeah, I think so. What character do you really connect with on the show? I like Portia the best. I love Portia. Yeah, Portia's my favorite one. <laughs> she's goofy, but she's smart. Yeah, yeah, she's funny. Yeah, I do like it. Well, this was dope. Yeah. Very, very dope. Yeah. Do you have any, like, last... I just feel like, and now, just the last few years of my life with, like, um, you know, uh, being in school and just figuring out what I want to do with my career and then marriage and things like that and just... Uh, friendships changing and friendships evolving and watching my friends grow and like watching myself grow and family and all that all of that stuff like I just keep coming back to one thing and that one thing is that there are a lot of different facets of me Mm. as a person and I cannot be contained in a box Mm. and I just think that people need to know that if that's you which 99.9999% sure that's probably everyone that that's okay. Like for me, like I, I'm a professor. I'm a Christian. And a lot of people in higher ed don't want to talk about like mm-hmm. Christianity or don't want to say that they're spiritual. But I'm an extremely spiritual person. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I listen to trap music. I listen to City Girls. I let you know I, I'm I'm not confined. Make sure your husband gets those right angles. Yeah, right? He take them pics or whatever. That's the only reason why I would want to be married. (laughs) Somebody take them angles for me. Because he better know all my angles. He knows them. Did you teach him? Well, I mean, did he, he have to learn how to take? Part, he did he have to learn how to take good photos of his wife, or you had, or he came in knowing? Sometimes I just have to tell him tilt the camera up, tilt <laughs> yeah. it up high. But sometimes if he's in the right mood, he'll take a whole bunch of pictures for me. Really? You know, yeah, he'll be cropping. That's the only reason why I want a husband for the men that are listening. <laughs> just somebody to help me curate my Instagram. Well, shoot, all of that. All you need is um the um self timer, propping on a pile of books. Is, okay, yeah, don't no, excuse me. The men that are listening—that's <laughs> not joking. what I need. <laughs> that's not what I need. I'm just joking, but yeah, I think it's just important and thinking about Lizzo and thinking about being a professor and education and stuff like that. It's important to just embrace all your all dimensionality. Topics. Yeah, the dimensionality, and it, it, it doesn't mean that you have to be one set way. I'm big on that. And coming into, I turn thirty next year. Come on, so like coming into thirty, like. I'm just thinking about that. There's a lot of different parts of me. I'm a complicated person, even though on the surface it may seem like some people may know me in one realm, like, oh, 
she's you know a, a you know spiritual person, Christian girl, and blah blah blah. She's a good girl. And then another realm may be when I drive home, I'm blasting City Girls or whatever, or Little so Kim what? yeah. or whatever. And maybe it has curse words in it. Maybe it doesn't. Ooh, you know, Not I'm still Kiara. <laughs> you know, I'm air grown. Right? And I'm grown, and that's okay. Mm. And you can be all these different things, and you're still a good person. Mm. You're still good. You're a whole, and that's what makes you, you. Is that your love letter right now to kind of like schoolgirl hustle? Yeah, to, to schoolgirl hustle and to everybody, really. Like, just embrace your, you. And I've just been so privileged, my upbringing. Just meeting other people and seeing other things, seeing how toxic upbringings can affect people. Child. <laughs> I mean, so I'm just very grateful because I had that and have that, and I can talk to my parents about things, and mm-hmm. they have um, told me like different things will happen, and I'll be like, they want me to do this and this and that, but I told them my parents raised me to be my own person, and my daddy's like, that's right, and my mom's <laughs> like, that's right, you know, like I have that, and like especially for people that don't have that, just um, kind of. Uh, tune into that and en- embrace that about yourself and just do it for yourself. Yeah, I, I love the ways that you embody kind of like this this black love that really roots from self and like mm-hmm. also just like facets of black joy and thinking about dimensionality and really just thinking about the ways that like we need to always make space for the ability for black folks to be complicated mm-hmm. and nuanced and mm-hmm. have multiple dimensionalities and layers and mm-hmm. I think so much of, like, me being a black gay man, a black queer man, mm-hmm. is, like, this constant search for home, mm-hmm. right? This constant search of, like, where can our bodies rest um, in the in a home place that yeah. is um, nurturing um, and sustaining for um, not just me as a black man, but me at, in all of my layers. Yeah. And my queerness allows me to always, like, kind of think about safety in, in those ways and mm-hmm. I'm like okay this barbershop is mm, or mm-hmm. okay auntie's house is a little mm, mm-hmm. or just like mm-hmm. or auntie's house is like is an intersectional space where mm-hmm. me and Lizzo can be told that we're beautiful yeah. and can be told that we are worth value and that we can um, have agency over our own bodies and expressions and those yeah. kinds of things and yeah. I think that's like the key that is the goal and yeah. I think to be black and to be intersectional to be black in something else to be mm-hmm. black in woman to be black and gay mm-hmm. to be black and non-able bodied etc it's this constant um yeah. push and pull yes. searching for a home yeah um metaphorically Absolutely. and physically sometimes mm-hmm. um and that's just something that you know i think as black as black academics as yeah. black professors mm-hmm. i hope to always come you know come to class and provide for my students mm-hmm. in terms of my students of color in particular just like this is a space where like you know be ratchet. Yeah. Great. You know, your ratchetness informs a lot of the ways that you approach scholarship. And so I don't want you in my class feeling like you have to suppress yourself. Yeah. Um, totally. There is no, to quote my homegirl, Alok, um, who is mm-hmm. a famous um, and amazing um, gender non-conforming performance artist, mm-hmm. scholar, poet. Um, they just put out a quote that I thought was just so telling for our conversation there's no greater loneliness than having people see you after you've already erased yourself. Mm. Right? Yeah. We will end there. Um, this was a great episode of Black Matter. Yeah, thanks with for having me. Doctor, tell the girls your name again. Dr. Kiera Lee Hart. And how can folks um, 
get in touch with you if they love what you said? Um, so, uh, Schoolgirl Hustle, my brand that I mentioned before, I uh, sell t-shirts and it's a movement basically for girls and women to support them in school and the professional world. You can follow on Instagram at schoolgirlhustle, all one word. The website schoolgirlhustle.com. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, if you're into the academia side, I talk all things academics on Twitter and yes. it's at Kiera Lee PhD. This is great. I love you, girl. Yeah, I love you, too. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. All right, bye. Bye.